Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White, and today myself and Simon spoke about Mason Greenwood leaving Manchester United. Have the club taken the least divisive option? Have they swept aside responsibility because it's the right thing to do? Or have they been swayed by the backlash? Plus, do fans now accept the spectacle of matches being ruined if it gets the end result of less time wasting? And what does inspiring the next generation and building on the Lionesses legacy mean in practice? This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. We begin this morning by discussing the Mason Greenwood situation after United, Manchester United announced yesterday. It was mutually agreed that Greenwood would not be returning to the football club. Of course, lots of debate, lots of discussion uh, as to how United have handled this situation. Three points here, Simon, I'm going to throw out. Number one, have they taken the least divisive option in the end? Number two, have Manchester United taken this route because they think it's the right thing to do or because they've been swayed by backlash? And number three, will it take a brave football club to now take on Mason Greenwood? United, Simon, and I know you're right across this, the two statements that are all important. United say, throughout, we have taken into account the wishes, rights and perspective of the alleged victim, along with the club's standards and values, and sought to collate as much information and context as possible. That said, as Mason publicly acknowledges, he has made mistakes which he is taking responsibility for. It's therefore been mutually agreed that it would be the most appropriate uh, thing for him to, to carry on his career away from Old Trafford, and we will now work with Mason to achieve that outcome. Of course, um, Greenwood had denied all of the alleged offences that were made against him. The club had been undertaking an internal since February when the UK's Crown Prosecution Service, the CPS, dropped charges of attempted rape, assault and coercive control against him, concluding uh, there was no longer a realistic prospect of conviction after key witnesses withdrew. Greenwood was saying 
The decision has been part of a collaborative process between Manchester United, my family and me. The best decision for us all is for me to continue my football career away from Old Trafford. He says he's grateful to his family and his loved ones for their support. He says, I intend to be a better footballer, but most importantly, a good father, a better person, and to use my talents in a positive way on and off the pitch. Simon, I get back to the question, so I put it to you. Have United taken the least divisive option possible in the end? I think they've taken the path of least resistance. And by that I mean, if the most compelling part of Manchester United's statement is this, um, the material posted online did not provide a full picture and that Mason, Ma- Mason did not commit the offences in respect of which he was originally charged. So Manchester United's investigation by Manchester United he was charged with. So why have they cut ties? So that puts them into a situation... Well, because they've got two situations. They've got an obligation under the contractual position they have with Mason Mount and they've got an obligation under the... Mason Greenwood. Uh, sorry, Mason Greenwood. Sorry about that, Mason. Um, Mason Mount. But the, uh, the, 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 they've got a, a situation where they've got two obligations. They've got an obligation which is a public-facing one where they're being made to look at the reality of a public domain business with high-profile outlooks, high-profile uh, obligations upon it. And then they're looking at the other side of the argument, which is the contractual situation. They're not in a position to be able to terminate... Mason uh, Greenwood's contract. They haven't terminated his contract. That's not what's happened. Right. What they've done is yeah. they've turned around and said to, to, to Mason Greenwood, we have a situation here where, where, for all intents and purposes, this cannot work. It cannot work for a variety of reasons. Uh, and so with that in mind, the best outcome for Manchester United is, and for you, is for you to move off somewhere else and us to be facilitatory in that, which means we're not going to sell you. We're not going to charge a transfer fee for you. Most likely what we're going to do is allow you to go and play for another football club in one guise or another and in an ideal scenario have some of the cost implications of Mason Greenwood's contracts borne by someone else. What they, imagine- they say they're going to work with him. Will they help him, do you think, find another club? But that's precisely what they're doing by the very definition of suggesting and some would say well, they can't do anything else. They couldn't command a fee for him at this moment in time because it would be looked at in a certain way. And so with that in mind, the next best thing is to say, right, we've got an £8 million liability here. We've got a player on £75,000 a week. That's £3.8 million a year, plus 14% national insurance contribution. That's 4.2. They've got an £8.5 million liability to Mason Greenwood, which they'd much prefer not to have. They've also got a player that once upon a time was a superstar in the making that probably had a market value of 60 to 80 million quid. So Man United, through no making no fault of their own, besides the culture of football at times that doesn't deal with young players in the way that they should and educate them in the way that they should behave in society at times, um, that, but besides that particular obligation upon football clubs, have done nothing wrong in this instance to put themselves in this position. They're the ones alongside the victim that have been put in this position by Mason Greenwood's behaviour. His behaviour has put himself in the way of something. We know in this country, this is why there's so much noise about this, and we know that the domestic um, survivors, uh, activists and campaigners and charities have been very vociferous about this because we know that we live in a society where two women a week are being murdered by their partners. Certain men think they can lift women off the street and do terrible things to them. So we know that that's the backdrop. And Mason Greenwood has put himself in the way of something. The optics are what has convicted Mason Green in the Court of Public Opinion because if you look, and we can't go behind the detail because we're not allowed to in the, in the protection of the witness, but the nuance behind this is far, far more challenging and different than the optics and Mason Greenwood has put himself in a way of it. Now United, what could they have done? 
Well, well, last week there was talk that they might have him back. Well, they may well have wanted to try and get this him back. This week, they've parted company. So they've been swayed by the backlash, they, have they? Well, I would suspect so, yes. Yeah. Of course they have, because yeah. ultimately Manchester United are in a situation where they're looking for the best outcome for all parties and also for the contractual liabilities that they have. If they have concluded, as a matter of course, that he's not guilty of these offences, which is what they say, and the CPS have dropped it, then they're in no real position to terminate his contract. The only way they can terminate his contract is pay him up. So they can say to Mason Greenwood, sorry, your contract has two years left on it, we're going to pay you £8.5 million to go away. If they do that, people are going to, have, they're going to be outraged. They're going to say, he's just got paid £8.5 million to walk out of his contract. So United are caught in this cleft position. So the next best thing they can do is say, right, OK, if we terminate him, dollars for donuts, Mason Greenwood's lawyers would have come straight over the hills at Man United and go, that's unfair dismissal. You have no grounds for it. You haven't got enough in disrepute, although there may be an argument there. So what do you do here? So they look and they test the water and they evaluate what is the best thing to do. What is the best outcome for all parties considered? All parties considered. Because this is very, very complicated. This is not just a black and white exercise of people making their minds up and someone being convicted. This is very very, very nuanced behind the circumstances of what's actually gone on here. Yeah. We've only seen the optics and everybody's made their mind up and those optics are pretty poor, they're pretty reprehensible, but notwithstanding it, the nuance behind that is far more in detail than just a binary observation. So where we are now, path of least resistance. You are you're, the, the people that are losing out of this, in some respects, are Manchester United because they're going to have a cost implication for this boy to go and play somewhere else, and they're going to have a loss of opportunity from a boy that they've developed to being an Nyon superstar, and that money's all gone. Now, people will say, well, that's, that's the least of all the evils, but Manchester United have to process that into their thinking alongside a variety of other things. So they've been put in a remarkably invidious position. They could only have acted post-February of this year because the CPS didn't discharge... The situation it didn't become uh, available for people to yeah, look at it differently yes, so they've yeah. acted in a certain way yeah and they've done what i think and some will say because it's united they should have done it quicker they should have done it faster they should have done it in a certain way there were a whole load of reasons why it might have gotten to this point and yes there could have been an element more promptness but if you're going to investigate thoroughly and you're going to make sure that every i is uh, dotted and every t is crossed then you get to this point, you have other background, but Women's World Cup, all that goes on with that of course, particular of course. landscape. But, but key to this, do you think United underestimated the backlash? Last week we were hearing no. that within Manchester United internally, there was all sorts of uproar amongst various employees who were saying, you have him back, I'm out of here. Did they, on their own doorstep, yeah. did they underestimate well, the backlash? I, I, I would like to have thought that they wouldn't be as commercially and as and as... Uh, literally as unaware and insensitive to the idea because it's not difficult to understand where this was going to go. Of course, the argument would be the safeguarding issue. Is there a real issue of Mason Greenwood being in that environment and people being legitimately unsafe? That's easy for me to say, but obviously the domestic survivors' charities will have a very strong view on that and they yeah. believe that yeah. someone of his position in life has a, has a responsibility to operate in a, in, a, in, a, in a proper way. There was also a redemptive society where people are able to rehabilitate. And we're looking at a society where you've got Mike Tyson running around the world lauded by certain people as a hero who is a convicted rapist. So we do have to get balance and context yes. about how the no, world yeah, looks at things for a, a certain optic. That's a very good point, But he, he has the right. Yeah. He has the right. Yeah. And, and, the, and the complication that we can't go, go into is quite staggering. But he has the right to go on now and find himself an ability to rehabilitate and redeem 
like everybody does. Now, at Manchester United, that would prove to be impossible because of the nature of the scale and size of this football club, the media interest, and those that believe that there's a consequence that needs to be played out on Mason Greenwood. But wherever it ends up, there'll be immediate media interest. Yes, they will. They'll be all over it. Yeah. Of course they will. Yeah, they will. Danger. Flammable exchanges ahead. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Now, a section of the, the Manchester United statement stands out a mile. Based on the evidence available to us, we have concluded that the material posted online did not provide a full picture and that Mason did not commit the offences in respect of which he was originally charged. We're joined this morning, Simon, by the Head of Employment at Stewart's Law, Joseph Lappin. Joseph, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. Joseph, I'll read that again. That that section of the United Statement. Based on the evidence available to us, we've concluded that the material posted online did not provide a full picture and that Mason did not commit the offences in respect of which he was originally charged. So, Joseph Lappin, if that's the case, why are they cutting ties? Well, I think there's a, a number of reasons why they're cutting ties and and Simon has, I was listening in earlier, Simon's touched on a lot of the commercial factors that the club will will need to take into account in determining what is appropriate in in the circumstances. But clearly, over the last week, there has been a U-turn. If if, we can read into numerous media reports on, on what internal processes the club has gone through, I think at the end of last week, um, the chief executive's view was that Greenwood would be reintegrated um, at the club and would join the first team. There's been a public outcry um, in relation to that proposal and the club has decided that in the circumstances it's best for all parties for Greenwood to move on. But Joseph, help me out with this. If what we're led to believe is the case, United have no investigative powers. Their investigation wasn't independent. They didn't speak to the alleged victim. Richard Arnold's statement says they didn't have access to all the evidence. So why did they see fit to pass judgment on such a serious issue? Well, they need to make a judgment. So the panel investigated the... Uh, the issues based on the information it had. I think you're right. My understanding is that the complainant wasn't interviewed uh, by by the club as as part of the process. That leads me to believe that um, the account provided by Greenwood um, has more weight than perhaps it otherwise would have done had all parties involved in, in this issue been interviewed by the club as part of the process. And and they've decided that based on Greenwood's account, on the limited information before them, um, that on the balance of probabilities, he didn't commit the offences that he was charged with. I was was putting it to Simon earlier on, and I'll I'll put it to you. Uh, One question that stands out this morning, as far as United are concerned, Joseph, have they taken the least divisive option in the end, in your view? Yes and, and no. Um, I think it was always open to United, actually, and, and I thought they, they were going to do this you know, early on during the summer, um, was enter into a confidential agreement with Greenwood, uh, which would have seen him part ways with the club you know, before the... Um, transfer window was open in in earnest 
Um, I, I know Simon, you know, listening in this morning, I, I understand the view that, you know, he's an asset. He, he's not like an ordinary employee. He has a transfer value. And United will have been exploring, you know, what opportunity is there for the club to make a player sale. Um, but it would have been possible, I think, uh, for United to reach an agreement with Greenwood on, on, on a confidential basis, uh, which would have seen him leave the club early on in the summer. And that would have avoided the real mess I think United find themselves in, in today. It's a, a bit of a PR disaster, I, I think. And the, the investigation has gone on for far longer than anybody anticipated. It's highly unusual for an internal investigation uh, like this one to last for six months. Um, and they've been, I think, spending the last week trying to get themselves out of the hole they found themselves in um, at the end of last week when media reports leaked that Arnold's view was Mason Greenwood would um, rejoin the first team. I mean, if they if they decided on a straight termination of his contract, uh, Joseph Lappin, would they have encountered legal difficulties further down the line? Um, well, if they had entered into uh, an agreement with Greenwood, um, my sense is that what they would have done is pay him the full value of his contract. So um, I think I heard Simon say that, you know, close to eight million quid, £75,000 a week, uh, there or thereabouts for, for the next two years. And in return, Greenwood would waive any claims against the club. Now, one option... Um, Joseph, what claims... Might... I mean, if they gave him a compromise yeah. agreement, which compromised him out of his contract, paying all his contractual liabilities, what claims would he have against the club? Because they would have met all their contractual obligations None. of a fixed-term contract. He'd, he'd have he'd... no claim, would he? No, no claims. He'd have waived his claims. His employment with the club would have come to the end. He would then effectively have become a free agent and would have been free to speak to clubs about you know, starting his, his career elsewhere. And, and my view, you know, following this story closely, was that that was probably in the circumstances the most sensible decision United But it's clearly not made. what Manchester United want to do and it's not also no. what they're doing now because they haven't... This is not... This is not a termination of right. Mason yeah. Greenwood's contract. Yeah. This is an economic decision to perhaps allow him to go out to another football club where some of the economic burden of his contract may be picked up by someone else. United yeah. bridging the gap and no transfer fees being involved. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It, it looks as if that's the decision they they have reached. Um, and, I, and, and I think now, given the public statements by both Greenwood and the club, alone looks most likely. So it looks as if he'll, you know, you're, you're a, a football man, Simon, you know, you'll know how these things work. It looks like he'll go on loan. Uh, the new club will um, pick up some of his, his wages during that period. He'll remain a player registered to Manchester United, but will be, you know, far away from Carrington training ground. Um, and in a year's time, depending on how he performs and where he he ends up, it may be that in 12 months, you know, Manchester United and the new club reach some form of agreement and, and possibly United receive a transfer fee. The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. No comment this morning from women in football from Women's Aid, from Refuge, Female Fans Against Greenwood's Return, all of those uh, organisations un un unable to give us a spokesperson this morning.
but I'm very pleased to say that Natalie Burrell, the founder of Manchester United Women's Supporters Club, Simon, joins us live on the show. Natalie, thank you for being with us this morning. Good morning. Morning, Jim. Natalie, um, you know how this has worked out. We've had a statement from United. We have now, uh, we've had a statement from Mason Greenwood. And we now know that uh, according to United, it was mutually agreed that Greenwood would leave the football club. You support the football club passionately. In your belief, is that the right decision? What's your take on it? Yeah, the right decision has been made. Unfortunately, it's taken a long time for the right decision to be made. But ultimately, I think this is the right decision for football club and Mason Greenwood. Um, I think we've all seen what's happened over the past few, the past week when it was sort of leaked that he might be coming back. And for me, this is the right decision. Last week, we were led to believe, Natalie, that there was a, a, a chance that Greenwood might be staying at the football club. That has now changed. In your, in your belief, in your opinion, how do you think your football club has handled this? Oh, it's, it's nothing short of disgraceful. I think they've, they've taken too long. I don't think it needs to have gone on this long. For me, I would have liked it to just... I know there's, there was a police matter, etc., but I would have just liked it to have been done then. I know it's not something maybe they could have done, but that's something I would have, you know, as soon as it all sort of came out, as soon as the arrests were happened, as soon as, you know, he was rearrested for breach of bail, that's when I would have liked them to have dealt with it in this manner. But, you know, for me, the way that they've done it, the way that they've sort of blamed the, the women's team, you know, whether it was them or journalists, I don't know, but the way it's all been handled, the way, you know, it's made people feel towards the club, you know, the way that people like Women's Aid have been called hostile, all these kind of things that didn't need to happen. And I think the club should have been doing a lot better. I think they've not learned from all the mistakes that they've made. And for me, it's all the blame line at the people at the top, you know, the Glazers, the, 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 the Richard Arnold who made that statement, who I just think that was disgraceful, to be honest. Those are the people that should take the most responsibility for this. I know Simon's keen to come in. I just want to put this to you, Natalie, and again, I want to thank you for joining us this morning. If Greenwood uh, had stayed at your football club, would you have continued to support Manchester United? It would have been hard, Jim, because, you know, as a woman, as you know, I know people who have suffered similar things. I know, you know, you know, we go through a lot of difficulties as women, you know, th these things are, can be considered normal for people and it, it would have been difficult because for me to play for Man United it's the biggest club in the world you're a role model people are looking up to you young boys young girls and we saw, we saw the pictures we heard the audio I know that there's, there's, there's explanations for me I, I don't know how you can explain it away I mean yes he wasn't charged in a court of law yes he should continue to work but I just think Manchester United where you're at the biggest stage in the world you shouldn't be here and you know, maybe we'll go, maybe we'll learn and, you know, deal with his issues. And, you know, I think the club should support him in that respect, should give him therapy or anything that, you know, he needs. But in terms of playing and, and being that role model for Manchester United, for me, I don't think that's that's right.
is it just a matter of timing? Is that your major issue in terms of they couldn't do anything me, until February yeah. and they've taken too long, in your view, to get to an outcome that ine inevitably was probably going to be yeah, the most likely yeah. outcome anyway? Yeah, it's taken too long. We know this with Man United. They've done a U-turn. We've seen it before with Manchester United and this ownership. You know, if, if the decision was to bring him back, like they're saying it was, why take so long? Why have they then swayed stick to your decision, come out straight away and say, this is what we're going to do? But instead it's dithering, back and forward, U-turning. And you're saying there, Simon, no one's blaming the women's team. If you actually look on the women's, I know this is fans and we can't go into it, but there was indications whether it was right or wrong, whether they should have done it or not. After England won the semi-final, they were saying we're waiting for the women's team to come back. But I don't understand why that was released, whether it was a club or journalist, but I don't know. But that is what, for me, has really upset me. Because if you look on the social media of them, the girls now, it's constant, it's Mason Greenwood, it's you've let up the club down. And, you know, these people might not be fans that come to Old Trafford, but... For me, that's where a duty of care is. There's young girls that have been there since But it might have well. been a legitimate consultation process. The unfortunate thing, whether we agree with that principle, is the fact it's got leaked in the public domain and subsequently it gives people on social media that are mindless anyway an opportunity to target people that have no business being targeted. I, I understand entirely what you're saying but again I'm not making excuses for them I could care less about the Glazers I do think they were dealt a very difficult hand I do think Richard Arnold was yeah, dealt I'm, difficult in the, in the same way that perhaps Martin Edwards was dealt with a very difficult hand when Eric Cantona was found guilty and, and, and narrowly avoided a custodial sentence for assaulting somebody in a stand Simon I get that but as Natalie's pointing out and as we all know there was something of a U-turn from what United were saying last week to what they're saying this week. So it it has, you could argue, as Natalie is doing, it has taken unnecessarily long to come to where we've got to now. But if you look at United's statement, and this is the part that I would have thought Natalie was most aggrieved about, uh, is the statement that Manchester United have made, which is they do not believe he's guilty of any of the offences. Is that the standout yeah. comment that you object to, Natalie? Yeah, that is what... For me, I couldn't understand. I mean, Gary Neville even said it. Who is it? Man United is not the judge, jury and executioner. You know, so who, why? I don't understand. And especially the reasoning that they gave around that, I don't understand that either, just because she dropped the charges. We know a lot of pe uh, people drop charges. That doesn't then necessarily mean that the incident didn't happen. Let, for me, that was wrong as well. That's what I'm upset about, Richard Arnold. But, but, yeah, we'll, but, also the court, but also the court I'm, of public can I just opinion. Say, Simon, just Sorry, Natalie. Can I just say, yes, it was leaked unfairly for the women, but for me, that's when the club should have stepped up as well and said something and said, been a bit more forceful with it. I think the way that they're handling the social media of the women isn't right because, like you say, they're always going to be abused. But for me, it's, it's extra now. It's, you know, we're hearing how agents are having to get cyber security. Extra, so what are the club doing around that? That's where I think... But also, Natalie, by the same token that it's not Manchester United, in your in your mind's eye, it's not Manchester United's gift to make this sweeping statement. It is also not the court of public opinion's gift to decide on the optics the full length and breadth of someone's guilt either, is it? Oh, no, that's right. right. And social media, as you rightly say, Simon, uh, there are many people there expressing an opinion that is, is so far from reality you wouldn't believe it. Natalie, a final one from me to you, and again, thank you for joining us. Greenwood is now at liberty to play his football elsewhere. Um... Is, are you comfortable enough? Are you relaxed about that? In the knowledge that he's not going to be playing for your club, you relax they can I, play elsewhere. I've said it from the start, Jim. I said he should get support. He should be getting um, 
treatment. And, you know, it, like this, like I said, he was here since seven. So I do believe they should be putting him through therapy, putting him through some kind of whatever he needs. I think that he should be getting that because I, you know, I don't know if Simon agrees with me, but I do agree with re- rehabilitation. So I do think he should be able to play again. But for me, the standard at Man United is where, you know, the, the cord was enough for me. And, you know, whether he goes to Saudi Arabia, Italy, you know, or even hoping that some Premier League clubs might take him. That's for other Premier League clubs. If they want to do that, that's up to them. And I do think that maybe, I don't know if they will, but United should, should carry on supporting him, you know, because like he, he was a boy from seven that has come there. And whether it's being with, I don't know, you know, but they should hopefully give him what he needs. Um, now and you know, until he gets that new club and they can carry on giving him that support that he needs, I do think he should play. I don't know where it'll be. I wish him the best, but for Man United, I'm happy it's not my club. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Danger. Flammable exchanges ahead. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Uh, last night at Selhurst Park your old stamping ground Crystal Palace Indeed. took on Arsenal you would see uh, your chum uh, Steve Parrish sitting beside <laughs> Gareth Southgate <laughs> nice to have you at the game Gareth like a coffee um, anyway they watched the game together at the end of it all Arsenal took all three points but do fans now accept the spectacle of matches being ruined if it gets the the end result of less time wasting um I mean, Tommy Asu sent off for receiving two yellow cards, the first coming via time-wasting yep. at a throw-ins. Uh, at a throw-in. I mean, I, I, do you think, Simon, that players and managers are beginning to get the memo? They'll learn. They'll learn. They, they don't run the game. There's been this movement, and I made it last week, and people might think I'm get, getting into a conspiracy. I, I think there's a, dis, a determined exercise where players and managers think that they run the game rather than work within the confines of it. So there is a, there is a real energy from the referees... As you know, I did a podcast last week with Mike Dean and he was reinforcing the point about the agenda that Harold Webb has. This is not going to be something they're doing and they get bored of and they, they drop it away at the end of the season. They want to address these issues. And they'll stick with it. So if players want to do time waste and get themselves booked, you get what you get. But it affects the game. Tommy Asu was sent off and then the Arsenal just shot up shot with 10 men um, and it's like a... a 
constant onslaught from Palace. I mean, do we say, if we, that do, happened in a Premier League title decider, everybody would say, well, that was the moment that this well, game turned had, it in if, its head. If it happens on a Premier League dis, uh, title decider, you'll have had 36, 37 games to have learnt your lesson. If you're still that bleeding stupid, then you would have, then you would have reaped what you've sown. We've got to decide... And, and it's a, it's an agenda. I don't know who started this agenda because I didn't start the agenda about how much time the ball was in play and how much time wasting was going on. But I remember David Dean coming in here and lots of people give David a lot of credit about being an innovator uh, and very forward thinking. He was on it. He was talking about stop clocks and looking at the amount of time the ball was in Wait, play. Women, him. No, I'm saying where has this pain come from? Right. Because without without there's no there's no gain without pain yeah, so yeah. i'm saying to i'm saying as a matter of course how much pain do people think they've got with time wasting the amount of time that balls the balls in play because if they perceive that to be a pain then you've got to go through this to get the gain and the gain is that the players understand their responsibilities they stop what they're doing and they they realize that they're in, in the entertainment business and people that are watching them are equally as important as them Good point. Uh, there's a message for years and years. Players have wasted time, uh, and they're finally uh, giving out yellow cards now. But then you hear Mikel Arteta trotting out. He trotted out. Let's hear what he trotted out. This was Arteta uh, after Arsenal had took the points. For me, that's not an issue. You know, if the referee makes that uh, that call, you know, and and we are consistent with that. I think they explain it. Um, the only thing that we are asking is for consistency. And if not, we need to play with a with a stopwatch to understand what is it and what is not. So he wants consistency. I don't know about the stopwatch. He wants consistency. Um, and I get that. But they'll, they'll, they will be consistent with this because they're determined to nail the time wasters. Yeah. And what we really want from football managers is a acceptance of that they've brought this upon themselves and an enhanced level of professional discipline installed in their pli- players rather than an endless tirade of how they think they can do it better. That's what we get from football managers one for who, you, who most of the time can't conduct themselves properly themselves. But you said we're in the entertainment business. Football yes. is in the entertainment business. Of course it is, and yeah. I get that. It is in that domain. But after the red card, how entertaining was it that Arsenal then banked up and Palace couldn't well, this break is them the, down? This is the fear that they've avoided for some time, and this is what I believe that referees have had to endure because we listen to the constant... You know, barrage of what referees do and don't do. We never price in the, the the pressures that are put to them by the players on the field, by the gamesmanship, and also by the broadcasters that don't really want to see the best players being taken off the pitch and the spectacle being diminished. But unfortunately, the game has brought it upon himself. The players and the managers are the reasons why we're in this situation. So what they need to do is be very quick studies, shut their mouths, and get on with playing the game. And this will be a non-event. It's a conscious decision. If you decide to waste it, get it, get out of the habit. You got into the habit pretty quick. Get out of the habit. If you've got into the habit of time wasting and you think it's an important part of the game and you think you can roll around on the floor and make a four-act play out of it, then the consequences of it are you're going to get booked. If you think you can debate with a referee about a decision, if you think you can wave at a referee asking him to book a player, is all part of your gift. Yeah. You're a player. I your t- job is to play. I tell you what, though, there are still inconsistencies in this uh, for the players directly. Tommy Asu is sitting listening to us this morning thinking, hang on, it was Havertz who time wasted and I get sent off. There will be errors. You know, I mean, Havertz, to me, is the ultimate time waster full stop. I don't know what he is. I don't know what he is to ask them. Is he a tax loss or something? Crying out loud what they bought there. But the point is this, is that there needs to be a consequence. There needs to be a changing in the guard in terms of how the games are controlled. They've identified it as a malaise. I'm assuming the football fraternity, the ones with the most noise, which is the players and the managers, agree that time-wasting is not 
part of the game that we want to see, if they all agree with it, then they'll have no problem in cooperating with it. And if we, every now and again a mistake is made by targeting the wrong person because someone else did it, well, they are, that's the consequences of your own behaviour. Yeah, yeah. There's some great messages this morning, many of them coming in from uh, people listening and siding with you. It's the players who have brought this uh, upon themselves. There's Bobby down in Weymouth. So what needs to be spoken about, gents, is the second yellow. No complaints about the first, but the second was a bit of a disgrace. There was no pull on the shirt. I kind of agree with him on that. Well, that's watched... fine, but if you, did the, if you don't have a problem with the first one, then the second one's incidental. You get a yellow card for the second one, nobody cares. Yeah. They care because the gormless twit was time-wasting in the first one. Yeah, there's a message. Oh, is Simon happy for spectacles such as big football matches like last night's for a spectacle like that to be ruined? I am happy because time wasting has ruined it. In that, I am the Arsenal get penalised and we're down to ten. I am now. happy insofar as we have universally accepted. That's why I brought David into the conversation because David sat here a year ago suggesting that this was a problem and that football was going down a rabbit hole in terms of the amount of time wasting. So if it's a problem, what is a solution? Let them do what they want, get the players involved so they can tell us what they don't want to do, because that's all they ever do, and we'll sit here now. And I, I, Honestly, Jim, I, I almost want to spontaneously combust when I hear managers and players coming out and saying they're tired and they've got to spend more time on the pitch. Yeah. And, and, they, and they say it with all good faith, and they say it with serious straight faces. We're spending you know, 11, 12 minutes extra on a game. Why? Because of your own bloody choices. And you've got the audacity to, in all good conscience to stand in front of cameras and seriously say, we're playing 15 minutes too long. Look what's going to happen. We're going to be playing till midnight. And why would that be? Yeah. Because yeah. of you lot. You're almost spontaneously combusting. That'd be fantastic. What an audience we get from that. Yeah, Let me know when you're about to spontaneously combust and we will tune in. Time wasters, we're not having you. Last night was evidence of that. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Speaking of uh, the, the uh, campaign, uh, undertaken by the Lionesses they went so close but just fell at the final hurdle Spain winning the World Cup final on Sunday morning um, inspiring the next generation and building on the Lionesses legacy I mean what does that actually mean in practice are they catchy slogans Karen Carney has said the government and football clubs should increase their investment into the women's game. Karen says, you know, everyone has a responsibility. The government does. Clubs do. Everyone has a responsibility to help with the investment uh, of the women's game, really. So, I mean, Karen's saying, right, government, Sunak, you were you were wishing the Lionesses all good luck going into the final on Sunday. Now put your money where your mouth is. She's not wrong to say that, is she? About well, government investment well, after they got so close, she's not, they were within touching distance of the trophy. She's not wrong to be a leading voice because she's got a platform in the media to want to, 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 to bang the drum for women's football and to be a major exponent of talking about it in the most glowing terms. I listened to some of the things that she was talking about last night on Monday Night Football and whilst I understand her reasons for saying it, some of what she said was absolute nonsense. Um, and it does need to be corrected, and it does need to be put into context. Like what? Well, I mean, she, she was talking about the necessity for Manchester United to redirect £450 million of their sponsorship deal from Adidas into women's football. And we've got, to, we've got to have the balance in the conversation. Everyone is remarkably proud of what the women achieved in getting to a World Cup final. But this narrative that's starting to be peddled out there, that women's football is as good as men, 
that they're entitled to be supported by the men's game, that it's economically viable. Who, who said that? But it's being peddled out. At, well, we just listened to last week an argument being put forward. By by certain segments of the of the media, certain segments <laughs> no, of, no, of no. pundits. You're not getting no, away let me, with let it that finish, easily. I haven't finished my point. We're also talking about the technical ability of coaches, of women coaches, being good enough to coach in men's football. None of these things are true yet. That doesn't mean they shouldn't be on a journey to achieve that. But at this moment in time, they're not. We have to look so at. So you disagree with what the FA were saying last week, Bullingham? Well, Mark Bullingham is a buffoon. He's a flake. He shouldn't be running the FA on a raft of fronts. And the reasons are clearly evident to most people that have any common sense about his okay. running of it of the FA. But look at women's. Good morning, Mark. Look at the women's. Look at women's. F, look at women's football. We we talk about the growth of women's football, and the growth is it's on its way. But we have to have a grown-up conversation about where it is and how it gets to where it's going. Right, and it cannot be used as a as a weapon for division. It cannot be a, a, a used as a, a debate about what's happening in men's football as opposed to what's happening in women's football. Who's using it as that? Well, Karen, it's on its way. Karen was got to a World Cup Karen, final. Karen was talking last England night. England haven't done that since '66. Well, I'll tell you, Karen was talking last night about the necessity for two sets of books being kept inside football clubs, information not being relayed that was uh, had any accountancy principles behind it or any validity behind it. Let's deal with the facts of the matter. Last year in the women's uh, Super League. 600 fans, 600,000 fans watched the, the entire roster of women's football. 15 million watched the Premier League. Last year, the Premier League generated 1 billion in ticket revenues and women's football generated 5 million. If they want to be on a journey, then they've got to make sure that the investment is there in the sport from the sport itself. And I'll start with these virtue signalling broadcasters that want to spend all their time telling us how they should behave whilst paying absolutely nothing for it. The BBC and Sky paid £8 million a year for women's broadcasting rights. If they're so motivated in terms of patronising women's football, why don't they pony up some more money and pay some broadcasting rights? If women want to see more revenue generated in football, why don't they stop charging £8 for tickets and start charging £25 or £30 to generate revenue? The reason being is that the attendances will drop. We are at the stage where women's football is doing remarkable things in its lane. And in order for it to, uh, lane to get wider and bigger and better and bolder, it needs to be, de be to be developed. But it shouldn't be done at the expense of other things. It shouldn't be done by weaponising it against the men's game, by making it a responsibility of the men's game. It shouldn't be on the basis of... Weaponising it? Well, it's a, it's can a, the men's game afford to help it? It's a, it's a, it's a ridiculous can assertion. It, can it can financially afford to help it? Um, should it have an obligation to? I'll come back with my question. Can the men's game afford to help the women's game financially? Uh, judging by the cost implications of football at this moment in time, that's a difficult one to suggest it can. I think it can. Chelsea have just spent a billion in transfers. Sure. Um, yep. I think they and, can. And, and How are you getting on in and, that dodgy and, ground and, you're standing and, and, and on? And there's a reason why... There, there is a reason why Chelsea are investing in their men's team oh, at this moment, good. moment in time Go on. because of the economic viability of the broadcasting deals and the scale of men's football. Women's football needs to develop. It needs to be given an opportunity to flourish. But the argument that ultimately what should happen is £900 million of achievable revenue from Man United, which has predominantly been gotten on the basis of men's football, should somehow be carved up on the basis of women getting half of that. It's a ridiculously naive and divisive argument. There's a nice w message women, from women James, the Arsenal fan. And I like, I like the sound of it. My eight-year-old daughter loves football, but hates mixing with the boys. We have 12 teams in our league, which is great. But in our school, there's nothing until you're six. Simon needs to stop comparing it to the men's game. I'm not. Men are bigger, stronger, quicker. I don't hear anyone comparing Usain Bolt to the women's 100 metres champion. Precisely. The girls' game needs more investment, Precisely. Simon. Precisely. 
And absolutely. So with Arsenal that, fan. so with that in mind, how does it achieve it? Right, it achieves it by broadcasting deals. We listen to these broadcasters constantly telling us about how wonderful women's football is. Well, why are you paying eight million pounds a year for it then? Why are you paying between Sky start, and the though. BBC? It's a start. Well, yeah, but and Karen's made a suggestion. Why doesn't the government help pony up? But why is it the government's job? Oh, why not? Well, why is it the government's job? They spend money to, everywhere to, to else. To appoint the government, sport, you're, talking, you're talking about Sport England and the division of funds that go into it across all the sports that Sport England yeah. covers. And yes, there may be an argument for more money to come in from Sport England, but when we're talking about the argument that's being made mm. about the investment in women's football, we have to have proper substance behind Are the you conversation. the same guy who said to me once, I'm very proud when I was at Palace to have invested so much in the women's game. Yes, no, I didn't say I didn't say I was very proud that I invested so much money in the women's game. I said I was the first person to put the women's FA Cup final on at Sellers Park for the first two seasons. And why did you do that? Was that because tokenism was, or because you really wanted to no, do it? No, because I thought it was commercial viability behind it. And was it? Not really, no. I had to give the tickets away. And the bottom line is, if you look at it and say, you've got you've got 600,000 fans watching women's f football last year, mm. which is a massive improvement. It's gone up from 200,000. But this is a country mile, and the argument and the narrative that's being peddled is divisive. It's a ridiculous conversation last week that Serena Vigman can go and manage the England men's team. It's a ridiculous conversation. Do you know how many watched it on Sunday? 12 million Fantastic. TV viewers do you know, do you know, in this country do you know how many, watch the, the do, Women's do you know, World Cup do you know, final. Do you know how many, do There's you know plenty how, of interest you know here how, by the sounds of it. Do you know how many people around the world watched the Men's World Cup final? 1.5 billion. Around the world? Yeah. And okay. So, so the, the, do you know how many people watched the Men's World Cup tournament? Mm. 6 billion. Do you know how many watched the entire women's tournament for the entire tournament? 1 billion. Women's football's on its way. Yeah, no but, doubt about it. But people, some messages coming in this morning saying, stop doing what you're doing. You're comparing men's to the women's I'm not, game. I'm not... I'm attacking the argument where people like Karen, like, like this time last year, and it really irked me at the time, Sunis makes an observation about a, a particular game played by men and uses the terminology men's game being played by men, and we have a current England player that tweets out, put him in the bin, he's a dinosaur, because ultimately they believe they've got a narrative and a sense of entitlement that they can attack certain aspects of the established protocol of men's game. Women's football needs to be developed, it needs to be enhanced, but not by creating division, false narratives and false comparisons with the men's game. Mm. That's my issue. I want, I've got a young daughter. I'm more than happy to see the women's game progress, but let's have it right. When you've got someone like Karen Carney on Monday Night Football turning around and saying that the accountancy behind football clubs is wrong, that the distribution of funds of a £900 million deal should be distributed to the women, when we all know that 2 million shirts a year that Man United are selling, 99% of them will be the men's shirts. Mm. And we hope that women's football can develop. We hope that the oh, end game... Of well, of course we do. Yeah. We hope that the end game comes to a point where it's an equal situation. But do they want economic charity or do they want to build their own leagues? Are they rich enough in the men's game to help the women's game financially? Straight question, Should yes they or have no? to? That's not the question. Well, it is the question. Do they the have answer. the money to do it? Chelsea the, no, spent a billion no, in transfers. I don't know who's coming the through the door next. I tell you the do do I the tell men the, have the money to help I the women? I'll tell women's you the game? smartest move they've made. Go on. The women's, the women's Super League. They've decided to go and do their own deals. They've got rid of those imbeciles at the FA. They're not going to negotiate central deals from it anymore. They're going to create their own Premier League like the men did. And they're going to go after economic viability. And chapeau to them. Chapeau to them. Big Kenneth is with you. Take a bow, Simon. You're 100% 100, 100 spot on about women's football, says Big Kenneth. I wonder what little Kenneth thinks. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll be back tomorrow. Even on a budget, 
Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.